In our morning um, series, The Heart of Jesus, we've been uh, beginning this new year with that desire to know Jesus better, to go deeper in our relationship with Jesus, and to walk more closely with him. And so running up to Easter, we're going to be looking at the key moments of Jesus' life, but also looking into his heart, his love, to see what it looks like. And we'll discover, as we have done already, that Jesus is good news. Good news for each one of us. He's good news for the discouraged, the frustrated, the weary, the disappointed, the cynical, the empty, the broken, the hungry, the faithful, the joyful, the expectant. And if we ask what is in the heart of Jesus, we discover this amazing news is that we are in the heart of Jesus. You are in the heart of Jesus. I am in the heart of Jesus. There's no one who knows you completely and loves you unconditionally like Jesus. We've been using Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30 as sort of our base for this series. Come to me, says Jesus, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That one verse in the whole of the Bible when Jesus refers to his own heart And so we've been looking at different aspects of his heart. So I want to ask you a question. You don't have to shout out the answer. Be thinking about it. If you could hear Jesus praying for you in the next room, how would it make you feel? If you could hear Jesus praying for you in the very next room, how would that make you feel? So today we look at another aspect of Jesus' heart and we ask the question, what is Jesus doing now? I don't know if you've ever asked that question. What's Jesus doing now? Do you envisage him sitting on the clouds of heaven and watching us all scurrying around like ants? Well, the verse for today is from Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. It says this, Therefore he, Jesus, is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Question, what is Jesus doing now? It's what he's been doing for the last 2,000 or so years. The Bible tells us that he's reigning over the universe, sustaining it. Without Jesus sustaining the universe, it would all collapse. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, a place of honor and authority and blessing and power. And in the face of opposition and persecution, the other thing that Jesus is doing is building his church. 
just before the invasion of Ukraine, there were amazing missions going on across the country, particularly in Mariupol. There was an amazing mission bringing thousands to know Jesus. And there are pictures of the banners that were advertising the mission that have not been bombed. They're still there, encouraging the Russian invaders to look and click on the website that tells them about the love of Jesus. Jesus is building his church, and you know what he said about that? That the gates of hell would not prevail against it. We are opposed. We are pursued. If they hated Jesus, they will hate the church. But he says, I will build my church. So he's building it in Ukraine. He's building it across the persecuted countries of the world. He's building his church here in Chipping Camden. And he's equipping his church with the power of his Holy Spirit, with gifts and fruit. And in terms of the future, Jesus is waiting that moment when the Father says, it's time. The time that is only known to the Father. When Jesus will return to this earth and bring judgment, yes, but bring a new creation, heaven and earth together. And all pain will cease. And death will be no more. And evil will be dealt with once and for all. And our main focus when we worship together, rightly so, is on what Jesus has done for us. And we are so grateful for his unfailing love and his sacrificial death and glorious resurrection. We need to keep that central to all that we are and all that we do. We preach Christ crucified, risen from the dead, ascended, returning. The great reformers such as Luther and Calvin recovered and rightly centralized the truth that we are saved by faith alone. Nothing to do with our works. And that has to be rediscovered by every generation, that truth for ourselves, because it's easy, so easy for the church to fall back into works, fall back into religion or tradition. I came across this quote about tradition, which really, I, it's been with me since we've started this new venture in Stowe on the Wold. Tradition should be transferring the fire and not worshipping the ashes. And I love that. It's nothing wrong with tradition. It's handing on all that is good and all the best of it, but not worshipping the ashes of it, because God is doing a new thing. And that's why reading the Bible is so important. We've encouraged us all to, if we're able to read the Bible in one year, I know it's a big ask. I'm in Leviticus and just coming into Numbers and it's getting a little bit sticky. <laughs> but at least the New Testament, read it in the year. Hear the voice of Jesus. Hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and the Father speaking to us. Because it's through the scriptures that we discover the truth again. That we are declared right with God, not on the basis of anything we do, but we're declared right with God because of faith in Jesus Christ. And he doesn't wait for you to get your act together before he says, I love you, I will save you. He just says, come to me. 
It's when we realize that we need a Savior and turn to him in faith that we experience that amazing grace of God. So we know that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We know that Jesus conquered the grave through his resurrection. We know that he's ascended into heaven. We know he's one day returning. But what's he doing now? The answer should thrill us. At this very moment, he's praying for you. And he's praying for me. He knows about all our needs. All our heartaches. All our temptations. All our doubts. And he's praying for us. No matter what we face, He continues to pray for us. He is interceding on our behalf. That's what the Bible verse for today says. He is interceding on our behalf. And there's another passage from Romans 8, verse 31 to 34. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? And then there's this bit. Who will bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? Who brings a charge against those whom God has chosen? No one. Because we're chosen by God. Jesus Christ, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, interceding for us. So when someone does bring a charge against you, he is interceding for you. He is for you. And his heart is as drawn to us now as it ever was. So what is intercession? Simply put, it means pleading with somebody on behalf of somebody else. At its simplest. Pleading with somebody on behalf of somebody else. And we do it day by day. In our prayer life, we're pleading for others. We do it week by week when we gather as church. We take that responsibility seriously, that when we gather as church, we intercede for our world. We may not always see the fruit of that, but we would see the consequences of that if the church ceased to pray. But some might ask, why does Jesus need to intercede for us now? After all, we're saved, aren't we? Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We're forgiven. We're saved. Yes, we are. Jesus said it was finished when he died on the cross. Paid in full. But that salvation is ongoing. Yes, we are saved. Yes, we are being saved. And yes, we will be saved in Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 9, verse 28 says, So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. 
The death and resurrection of Jesus accomplishes our salvation. His intercession declares the fullness and the victory and the completeness of that work. And his return will bring all things under him, the new creation. If I could say it another way, his intercession for us is the ongoing application of what he has done for us. He continually applies it. He continually intercedes on our behalf. And as we press into the heart of Jesus, we know that his blood goes on cleansing us of all our sin. There's that verse in the Bible, isn't it? His blood goes on cleansing us of all our sin because he intercedes for us. And as we have pressed into the heart of God, into the heart of Jesus, we have seen how profoundly personal this rescue is. Yes, he died for the whole world, but he died for you. And he died for me. And he is still pouring out his heart on our behalf. That we may run the race. That we may stay the course. That we may persevere to the end. That verse in Hebrews 7, that verse for today. Therefore he is able to save completely. Another word could be forever. Another word could be to the uttermost. Those who come to God through him. He saves completely because he always lives to intercede for them. Imagine if Jesus had died for us on the cross. And the moment you acknowledge that and you you are born again and he says, right, you're on your own now. I've forgiven you. But now you're on your own. Three strikes and you're out. How depressing would that be? But he says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He is always interceding for us. Because we are not perfect yet. You know, before I was a Christian, I didn't know I was a sinner. Because I didn't know God. I didn't know Jesus. I am more aware of my sin now than I've ever been. It's weird, isn't it? But the closer you get to Jesus, the more you see, I'm not like him yet. But the promise is this, one day you will be and I will be. We'll be like him. We'll see him as he is. And he is interceding on our behalf. When the accuser comes and says, look at what he is and look at what she's done and look at that. And he says, he intercedes on our behalf. He's mine. He's interceding for us saying, he's mine. She's mine. Hands off, Satan. We are not left on our own. And he introduces us to the Father, our Heavenly Father. And he says, these are the ones you called me to save. And he presents us to the Father. I didn't know I had a Heavenly Father until I met Jesus. And he introduced me to my Heavenly Father, who loves me. And Jesus continually intercedes at the Father's right hand, saying, Father, these are the ones 
that you gave to me and I give them back to you. That verse is from John 6, 37 to 40. All those, Jesus says, the Father gives me will come to me and, I, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose none of those he has given me but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. Jesus is praying for us. He's interceding for our world. Yes, there's a battle. If you imagine the battle in the natural realm that we're seeing right now, that is replicated in the heavenly realms, but Jesus is Lord. We know the power of prayer, even if we don't always understand it. If you've ever experienced being prayed for when you're going through a tough time and as if you've been carried... I've experienced that a few times in my life when people, you know, knowing I'm going through a tough time, they're interceding for me and I know I'm lifted up because the enemy comes. How much more amazing then to know that Jesus knows you and he is interceding for you, ensuring that our prayers are heard by the Father if you read through John 14 to 16, seven times he reassures us that our prayers are heard. Imagine if you could hear Jesus praying for you. He sees you. He notices you. He's paying attention to you because he loves you so much. Jesus makes it possible for us to approach him God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit for any reason, at any time, in any place. We are never alone in our requests, needs, struggles, journeys because of what Jesus is doing for us right now. We have access to the very throne of God. then why on earth would we ever stop praying? If prayer has become a chore or something reserved for a 10-minute quiet time, start again. And imagine that you have the ear of the throne of heaven whenever and wherever you are, and begin that amazing journey of prayer. Yes, it's ebbed and flowed in my life too, you know. How to make a church feel guilty. How's your prayer life? <laughs> Until you discover afresh that you have direct access to the throne of God. 
and he's interested in you. When people say, well, I, I can't pray for myself. You know, God's got other bigger things to worry about, hasn't he? And Yeah, but he's still interested in you. Let's rediscover that amazing gift of prayer. The Son intercedes for us to send the Spirit to fill his church. How can we not cease to pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And for the Holy Spirit to fill his church again. And for us to be revived again, we need to rediscover that again and again. How can we cease to pray for the nations, your kingdom come, your will be done? If we could hear Jesus praying for us in the next room, how would it make you feel? Dustin, I've just got two people's responses. Dustin Ben said, if I could hear Jesus praying for me in the next room, I would know the depths of my sin and the limitless grace and mercy of his love. And I say, yep. I agree with that one. Robin Murray, Robert Murray McShane, if I could hear Jesus praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Because if Jesus is for me, who can stand against me? And the distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. If you could hear Jesus praying for you in the next room, how would you feel? What would you say? I'll leave that with you to ponder.